want to thank you. In 1631, a critic of the King James Version of the Bible was called the Wicked Bible. It was recalled and it was destroyed. Why you ask? Somebody asked why. There was a problem. The word not was left out of Exodus 20.14. This is what it said. Jeannie types these for me. So yesterday I was downstairs and she was upstairs and asked, did you use the intercom system or did you text me? She texted me. She texted me, thou shalt commit adultery? Question mark. I said, yes. <laughs> she was confused and perplexed and now you know why it was recalled and this is what Exodus 20.14 should say. You shall not commit it. A big difference between the two. Today, there's part of our society that prefers the wrong version. Isn't there? Lots of our society prefers the wrong version. The phrase consenting adults is thrown around to, around to excuse all sorts of wicked behavior. And scripture and its protection for marriage is often ignored. But today we're going to look at two biblical stories uh, about adultery and see what we can learn from others' mistakes. Before we do that, let's pray together. Father, help it matter what you say. Help us to love what you give us. Help us to be the husbands and wives we ought to be. Help us to be great examples. We pray for our world, our children that are bombarded by this world with Contrary messages. Father, help them to stand strong. Bless us as we look at your word. Help it to just work in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first one you know very well. Uh, very familiar story from 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 to 3. We're not going to tell the whole story, just enough to remind you of what's going on, because you know the whole story about King David in the spring of the year. The time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel with him. They ravaged the Ammonites, they besieged Rabbah, but David, he didn't go. He remained in Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon. You know this is how it began. When David rose from his couch and was walking about on the roof of the king's house, he saw from the roof of a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. David sent somebody to inquire about the woman. It was reported that it's Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. You know the rest of the story. We're not sure why David wasn't with his troops. Maybe he was used to life in the palace now and he didn't want to rough it with the armies. Seems to be taking a nap in this afternoon, just lounging around, doing nothing. Maybe he was tired, maybe he thought it was too important to risk losing his life in the battle. But David knows better than this what he's about to do in the story that unfolds. David, you remember when Goliath was killed, 
reminded all Israel that they had forgotten God. David was connected. Remember 1 Samuel 17, 26, when he goes to deliver food to his brothers and he sees the giant? David said to the men who stood by, What shall be done to the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? These are the first words ever recorded of David in Scripture. And we like him immediately. We love what he did. He saw the world with spiritual eyes in those days. And now 30 years or so have passed. And David is breaking two commandments, adultery and murder. The lesson we focus on this story is this one. When David was on the rooftop, he had to get close to the edge to see Bathsheba. And that's why your bulletin cover has the person, the precarious position on the edge. When we live life on the edge, and we look at things we ought not to look at, we get in trouble. Does that make sense? We live in a world where people get on the edge too much. They email people they shouldn't email so they get on the edge. Or they call people they shouldn't call. Or they flirt with people they shouldn't flirt with. And all of a sudden, trouble comes. We have to be careful. I've told you the story, I think, when I began in the ministry and Dad had been preaching for 40 years, was retired in Mississippi, and I was just starting as Minister of Youth in Aberdeen, Mississippi. I was ready for some advice from my dad about the years ahead. And I think I told you what he said. He said, if you take a girl home, make sure there's a boy in the car with you. I thought, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I was a minister of youth, and I wanted something good. But the older I get, the more sense what he told me made. And I did what he said. What he was really saying is, don't get close to the edge. Because when you put yourself in that situation, bad things can happen. And it made sense not to get close to the edge. Jesus was talking about the edge when he said this in Matthew 5, 27 and 28. You've heard it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Uh-oh. Jesus makes it clear that we have to be careful, all of us. And we have to be careful what we look at and what we listen to. And with every aspect of our lives, we, we have to be careful. Jesus is saying, don't get close to the edge. Turn away. Change the channel. Find something else to do. Walk away. It's that important. Before we get to our next Story. Let me give you my definition of love from May of 1983. Jeannie and I were married on May the 14th, 1983. There's birthdays and anniversaries. There's all sorts of things in May. I just have to process dates. May the 14th. And let me tell you my definition of love. We have newlyweds here. Todd, you're way ahead of where I was in 1983. This was my definition for Jean. I will love her unless she 
You know what my blank was? What, what was the thing I would love her unless she did this? Breaks the Sabbath command. I'll love you unless you're unfaithful. That was my definition of love in 1983. Pretty shallow, but pretty popular. You probably had the same definition. Maybe, I don't know. I had a boundary fixed in my thoughts. I love her forever unless she crosses that line. That was my boundary. I had adultery as the unpardonable sin. So I began marriage with that idea. 32 years ago, that was my definition of love. Gladly, I've never had to examine that. and We've never come to that bridge in 32 years. But I've changed my definition after 32 years. Actually, I changed it after 15 years. I, I don't know when it changed, but through the history it changed. It's changed to I love you, period. No clauses. No conditions. Doesn't matter. I love you, that is fixed. No matter what. Unconditional. So what happened for me to change my definition from if you do that, you're out of here to we'll see. God spoke to me. How you ask? Through his word, through experience, through watching others, but largely through the book of Hosea. The Old Testament book of Hosea is just packed with challenging ideas. In a nutshell, let me tell you the story. You ever looked at a couple and wondered how they got together? Anybody talking to your mother? I want to, Barbara really, I want to talk to her after church. She really has some, one of those. But you've looked at people and thought, how in the world did she settle for that? How in the world did he get that? You, you, you've maybe seen that. You would have asked that question about Hosea and his wife. And I'm not making her name up. You know her name, right? Gomer? Never met another one, except at Mayberry, but... Hosea married Gomer. Hosea was a prophet, a preacher, and Gomer, well, she was a prostitute. How the two met is anybody's guess. But we do know that they met and they were married and they had children. The first child born was a son. And they named the baby Jezreel. The name Jezreel was an infamous place of some pretty messy political doings. It'd be like naming a child Watergate or Ben-God. It, it, it's a strange name to give to a child. And I'm sure the conversation went from Gomer, I don't want to do that. Hosea said, I do, so we will. That was probably the gist of the debate. The second child came along, a daughter. And her name was lo which means not loved. That's not very nice to name a baby not loved. One commentator said that it kind of translates to she that never knew a father's love. Why would you do that? So 
Some say because she was a middle child that they feel that way, but I don't think that was it. Is there a chance this baby isn't Hosea's? Is there a chance? You, you want her. Had Gomer been unfaithful? Had she gone back to her old ways? Well, by the time the third child rolled around, it was clear. The third child of the way was named Lo Amani, which means not my people, not my kin. We're not related. It's not Hosea. It must have been a horrible marriage. And Gomer runs away. Now with my definition from 32 years ago, from the early 80s, when Gomer ran off back to prostitution, two of the kids, probably not Hosea's, number one might not be. I'm thinking it's a good time to change the locks. I'm thinking it's a good time to move to another location and not leave a forwarding address. I think it's a good time to stand in front of the church and say, let me tell you about evil Gomer. And that's, I think, what all of us would expect and understand. And then Hosea gets a word from God. And it blows my mind and it changed my definition. And maybe it's easier said than done, but look what God tells Hosea in chapter 3, verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. Why? This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. So what happens in the book of Hosea is it parallels the marriage relationship of Hosea and Gomer to the relationship, the covenant relationship of God to Israel. And although Israel has been flaky and they were, is there any question in your mind that God still loves Israel? God loves Israel. Even as unfaithful they have been for thousands of years, God loves Israel. And God is telling to Hosea, look, if I can do this, you better do this. And then you're going to understand my kind of love. So the book of Hosea teaches us many things. It, it teaches us that sin is infidelity to God. It teaches us that God hurts when we sin. But the message that I want to concentrate on is this one. God will never stop loving us. He will not give up. And so I won't either. In Indiana, I preached through the commandments. And about two weeks before the sermon, a couple came into me and he said, she won't talk to me. Can we come in and see you? They came in and we sat in the office and she wouldn't talk to me either. We were getting nowhere fast. And so I said, would it help if he left the room? So he gets up and leaves. And she tells me that she'd been unfaithful. And that he had that definition that I had in 1983. And she didn't want to tell him, would I go tell her husband that she'd been unfaithful? It was a lovely day to be the pastor. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went across the hall and told him 
what she told me. And then I told him the story of Hosea and Gomer. And I told him about my definition of love. And his definition of love was challenge. But he didn't change the law. And they're still together today. And they're better than ever. He did not give up, and neither did she. After David's affair with Bathsheba, he wrote these words that are important for my friends that have fallen and broken the seventh commandment. David wrote this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all of his benefits. Who forgives you of all your iniquity, David was who heals you of your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. And my friends that have been there say pit is an applicable word. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good as long as you live so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works vindication and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. He's merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He was not always accused, nor keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, thank God, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion to those who fear him. So, wherever you've been and whatever you've done, I love these words from Psalms 103. There is forgiveness, and I'm thankful. Finally, you know, every week we try, as we've gone through the commandments, to turn the thou shalt not into the positive. How do you turn this into the positive easily? Husbands, love your wives, period. Wives, love your husbands, period. I think it was Irma Baumbach that said, if the grass seems greener on the other side of the fence, you're likely not caring, or caring for your own grass. You need to take care of your grass and enjoy your spouse. A couple of things that helped me in the 32 years. God's Word, the story of Hosea, challenged and changed me. And I know this is bad theology, but I'm going to tell you what worked for me. I don't know how many years ago it was. I convinced myself that Jeannie is perfect. I married the perfect woman. I know there might be something somewhere that's not exactly perfect, but I can't imagine what it would be. I found a book at a yard sale. I think I spent maybe two, three bucks on it. And the title of it was The Perfect Woman. It was an old Victorian book. It's on our entertainment center in our den with a bunch of knickknacks that she put there. When I do that and convince myself she's perfect, why go anywhere else? Another thing that has helped is realize that love is an action, 
a decision, not a feeling. I bet Hosea didn't feel like staying with God. But it had nothing to do with his feelings. It had to do with his obedience and what God said for him to do. My friend Earl Petty, told you about Earl. It's very pivotal in my life, one of those you'll never forget. I did Earl's funeral years ago in Indiana. Earl and Louise were married probably 55 years. You know what he referred to her as? What he called Louise? His bride. Not for the first day, not for the first week, not for the first month, not for the first year, but for 55 years. This world needs good examples, doesn't it? We need good examples. You be one. Let's pray.